0: Det här är ett poddradioprogram från Studentradion 98,9. Alla våra program hittar du på studentradion.com eller i vår mobilapplikation Studentradion 98,9. Av upphovsrättsliga skäl är musiken förkortad. In the field of human country, so so many,
1: Utrikesbutik politik,
2: inga Pajanskonsten inte
1: hehe och
0: elected government on February 1st, and the state of emergency declared by the Myanmar military, the Tatmadaw, several key politicians have been jailed, including the state chancellor Aung San Suu Kyi. This has caused civil unrest and international condemnation, with Myanmar de facto reverting to military rule. The Tatmadaw has promised election within the coming year, but whether this will be carried out is at the moment uncertain. What is certain is that the world is watching Myanmar. My name is Melker, and I will be your host tonight. With me in the studio, I have three other hosts.
2: Hi, I'm Greta, I'm a political science student ready to discuss. Hi, I'm
1: Melina. I'm studying humanitarian action. Hi, my name is Amanda, and I'm also a political science student.
0: Yes, and if I didn't say that, my name is Melker and I'm studying political science and peace and conflict research. All opinions stated in this episode are our own and we will be right back with an introduction. What you do to me. just heard when Harry met Sally by Honey and we are Radio UF at Student Radio 98.9, Comanilla and we are discussing Myanmar. But before we can get to the events of today, we first need to know the background, the preamble, as it were. Take it away.
2: We do indeed. So, Myanmar gained independence from Britain in 1948, however quickly fell into military rule. And it was only in 2011 that a new government introduced civilian, civilian rule after 50 years of army control. In 2015, Aung San Suu Kyi's National League for Democracy party won a landslide victory in the first democratically contested election in 25 years. Interestingly, following the 2015 elections, the Burmese constitution did not allow Ms. Suu Kyi to take office because she had children who were foreign nationals. Her official title, therefore, was state councillor, but she was widely considered the de facto leader. Ms. Suu Kyi is a recipient of the Nobel Peace Prize and is very much a symbol of hope and democracy in Myanmar. However, since 2015, her reputation has suffered following her limited efforts to stop the army crackdown of the Rohingya Muslims. In November last year, new general elections were held, which were once again won by the National League for Democracy at the expense of the military-backed opposition. These elections stoked serious tensions between the Burmese armed forces and the government. The army began to demand a rerun of the election, claiming that the elections had been marred by widespread fraud, because we didn't hear that enough in November last year. However, the Electoral Commission has said that there is no evidence of fraud, and both local and international observers insist that the election was run smoothly and transparently. The military continues to dispute the election results, and on the day Parliament was due to sit for the first time and thus enshrine the election result in law, the army arrested Aung San Suu Kyi and other prominent political leaders, writers and activists. Twenty-four ministers and deputies have now been removed. They then declared a state of emergency, which effectively gives the military full power for one year. Military Commander-in-Chief Min Ong Lang has taken power, which is convenient for him because rumour has it he's always had his eyes on the presidency. The military has now charged Ms. Suu Kyi with illegally importing communications equipment, claiming that they found seven walkie-talkies in her home. The military says that it will hold free and fair elections after the state of emergency. And from a legitimacy perspective, this is important. this is an important claim to make. Uh, In the 21st century, military coups are relatively few and far between because elections today are seen as necessary to legitimise a regime. So for military rule to last, elections, however undemocratic, will be needed. And as Michael uh, Warman once said, autocracy without elections is nowadays a rare combination. So soldiers have now blocked the roads in the capital and taken international or domestic TV channels off air. Banks are being forced to close and the internet and phone services are also being intermittently disrupted, notably to stop protests being organised through Facebook. A curfew is now also in place. As for Aung San Suu Kyi, a a secret trial began on the 16th of February. She has been denied legal representation and her lawyer was not even informed that her trial had begun. Once again, conveniently for the military, the trial is due to to last for the entirety of the state of emergency. The general population has come out strongly against the military. And this is unsurprising given that the turnout in the last year's elections was 70% and the National League for Democracy won even more votes than they did in 2015. The protesters uh, have been largely peaceful, although the army has erected barricades and deployed both soldiers in riot gear and snipers to control the protests. At least 550 people have been detained and four have been killed during the protests. However, there's a general feeling in Myanmar that Myanmar has fought for a long time for democracy and they're not going to give it up
0: now. Yes, we'll have to see how that develops in the future.
3: Every night.
0: 3000 Miles, Baby Baby, by uh, Yeek. And since the uh, beginning of Myanmar as a state, and even before that, armed conflict has been a challenge for the different uh, governments. At the past 30 years, there has been at least 26 armed groups that have at some point taken up arms against the government. According to the Uppsala Conflict Database Program, the UCDP, this means that at least 25 people are killed in a conflict between each separate actor during one calendar year. So this is an unusual amount of conflicts. It is theorized that in some cases, such as, for example, the Rakhine state, insurgent groups are motivated by socioeconomic inequalities and failures to provide better standards of living. Despite having access to a large amount of natural resources, such as natural gas, uh, the profits of these resource extractions do not materialize for the Rakhine citizens and could have created a gap between the citizens of the state and the national government. Some citizens now blame the government for. The economic conditions, and this could be an explanation for the existence of armed groups such as the Arkan army and their continued campaign for regional self-determination and semi-independence. Similar patterns exist in other parts of Myanmar, for example, in the north where the Kashin states have the Kashin independence army uh, as an opponent to, go- to the government. And several of these conflicts have been put on hold, at least among the smaller groups by the previous government after a very ambitious peace plan and a ceasefire, but this plan has now been disrupted and with the recent events going on, it is possible that these ceasefires and negotiations will be uh, blown off. Many of the groups did in the past and still do seek regional self-governance and there is a risk that they now could see Um, previous peace deals as invalid, Um, or they could see the new military as a threat, or reverse, the military can see them as a threat. And this is very disconcerting because uh, these conflicts are very difficult to end, since the situation in the States, um, the socioeconomics within the States create a strong reason for people to join armed groups. They do not see a democratic way to solve these issues as viable due to previous administrations. And they also have a strong founding secured, either via diasporas or allegedly connections to criminal enterprises. And as long as democracy is uncertain within Myanmar, I believe that these conflicts will continue. And in order to solve these conflicts, there really needs to be a convincing argument that change can be achieved by negotiating and democracy. But with the current situation, I do not think that the uh, armed groups view that as a possible alternative. Therefore, we could unfortunately see a continuation of conflicts within Myanmar and even an escalation. This has all been a grand scale view of conflict in Myanmar, of the different factions, but we cannot forget about the human costs of these conflicts. For each fighter, there is a family of refugees, and the internal displacement is a major humanitarian crisis within the country. These people are the Rohingya, and we will talk about them in a little while. that was the artist Clara Sangerl, uh, and the song was Trial Day. This is Radio UF at Student Radio 98.9. And uh, continuing on from the subject where we left off, we are talking about internal displacement.
1: Yes, because um, this is not the first time in the... Um, sort of, what should we say, 21st century, that the world has been focusing on Myanmar. Uh, Myanmar gained a lot of international attention in the 2010s as well. Um, then it was mainly because human rights organizations alarmed the world about the torture, rape and persecution of the Ringa um, uh, Ringas, uh, which is the um, Muslim minority population in Myanmar, whereas the majority population um, are uh, Buddhists in the country. It's a bit unclear with the numbers, but um, uh, Human Rights Watch, for instance, has estimated that around 900 people have not only been internally de- um, displaced, but also fled across the border to the bordering country Bangladesh, where one of the largest refugee camps uh, today is now found um, and there's also no not really any clear number of how many people that lost their life um, trying to make it across the border and the UN has also been very clear um, that they characterize what uh, the Burmese state, or mainly military, um, is doing as ethnic cleansing. Um, this is, of course, considered a humanitarian catastrophe and has drawn a lot of criticism, like I said, uh, internationally. Uh, satellite pictures over time, they even show how villages where mainly Rohingya people used to live have just been burned down or completely destroyed by bulldozers You know, experts believe that this has been a tactical move from the military side as the Rohingyas will then um, not really have anything to come back to if they try to return um, to Myanmar. And Human Rights Watch also underlines how the government with Aung San Suu Kyi as their state chancellor has been... um, you know trying to disguise this from the world or at least they really considered that she hasn't done enough to prevent this which obviously has made her sort of a contested uh, leader at least um abroad so she she refuses all of this even um she even refused this happening even when she was called for a genocide hearing at the international court of justice in the Hague and experts on Myanmar claim that this has been to avoid losing support domestically as she is very very popular like you heard um, earlier in this episode and uh, many of the people belonging to the Buddhist majority think we can say that they some might even be, be glad that the ringers are not there anymore, others might not have that much knowledge about the issue but at least they still no matter the reason, they still have a very strong support for Sushi as their leader and others also claim that um, she has not wanted to do anything about the situation to avoid any disputes with the military, as the military has a lot more power in the country than most people uh, are aware of, which I think has been very obvious to us outside of Myanmar now uh, for the past few weeks as well.
0: Yes. However, inside Myanmar, there is opposition and there is unrest, which we will get back to in just a second.
1: You just heard NYC to CDG by Kasali and we're to then Radio 98.9 um Radio UF here talk about the recent coup in Myanmar and now we've sort of covered historical aspect what has been going on what have the recent conflicts been but now we're going to dig a bit deeper into what's happening right now. How are the protests going? What's happening there? So, yeah, absolutely. But
3: just jumping back on what you were saying, uh, Amanda, you were talking about the Rohingya people. But we must bear in mind that uh, they are not the only group to face discrimination in contemporary Myanmar. Indeed, Myanmar is a very diverse country that has been characterized by ethnic tensions, some even resulting in armed insurgencies, at least since the country gained independence from the British colonizer in 1948. And Myanmar, since then, has been struggling to forge an inclusive national identity that integrates the aspirations of its 135 recognized armed group. With the National League for Democracy's landslide victory in the last November elections, representatives of ethnic minorities feared further marginalization as the LND usually represents the interests of the Bamar Buddhist majority. However, some argue that opposition to the coup could have the potential to unite the country. And we have indeed witnessed widespread peaceful mobilization against the army across the country. And the movement has been imposed by a young generation fearing to fall back into darkness. Yet it also draws upon older generations' past experiences, including the 1988 Uprising for Democracy, as well as the 2007 so-called Saffron Revolution. So, what has been the civil society response to the coup exactly, and how has it evolved? The peaceful resistance has initiated in two dimensions, let's say, so online and in the soundscape. On February the 2nd, the Yangon Youth Network Activist Group launched a civil disobedience campaign demanding the return of the democratically elected government on Twitter. And the campaign quickly gained momentum due to the immediacy of social media. People started banging on pots and pans every night at 8pm as well, turning a traditional ritual to cast out evil spirits into a political protest. And then on the 4th of February, a small group of protesters started marching in the streets of Mandalay, chanting anti-coup slogans and raising three fingers, a salute taken from the movies The Hunger Games that symbolizes resistance against injustice and oppression. And the next day, teachers and public service officers joined the contestation, refusing to go to work until the democratic government was restored. And even state-owned propaganda channel staff and police officers joined the movement. On February the 6th, thousands of people were taking up the streets in Yangon, despite internet shutdowns. And as protests intensified and spread throughout the country, so does the civil disobedience movement. A general strike was even declared on Monday, the 22nd. And so, what is the reaction to the mobilisation? Well, the army has escalated the force used against civilians, starting with water cannons and rubber coated bullets to contain the protests. It then opened fire on a crowd last Saturday in Mandalay, killing at least four people. It also imposed a curfew and deployed troops and tanks in the major cities. Moreover, um, Internet access has been blocked several times, partially or entirely. And that takes us to an issue that has been talked about a lot, What is the role of social media here, especially after Facebook has banned the military from using Facebook and Instagram today? While such networks have been crucial in mobilizing people and sharing information, a professor of peace and conflict research at Uppsala University called Ashok Swain warns against putting too much emphasis on their importance, and he said that thanks to social media, Protests become bigger. They attract international headlines. But does that mean that they become successful? Mass mobilization and media coverage alone are not sufficient. What is needed in Myanmar is a regime under international pressure. And that takes us to the whole like, question of what the
1: international community can do and so on. Exactly. And we will r- be right back just discussing that afterwards. Thank you. Be your obsession. You just heard Obsession by Shuro, R- Rosi and Lowy, uh, at Student Radio 98.9. You're listening to Radio UF where we discuss the recent coup and protests in Myanmar. So we're going to just have a little think now about what the
2: international response has been to this, uh, to this coup. And the first thing really to mention is that the United Nations Secretary General, Antonio Guterres, has said, I call on, on the Myanmar military to stop the repression immediately. Uh, however, Myanmar's um, foreign ministry accused the UN and foreign governments of flagrant interference in its international affairs. That has not stopped, however, the US, Canada and the UK all being the first countries to impose sanctions on the leaders of the coup. And the UK imposed sanctions on three different generals, once again proving that Brexit was the correct thing to do because the EU has not yet uh, imposed any sanctions. And that is completely sarcastic, by the way. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, but one thing I, I find interesting about this is that it's just the classic stern words and sanctions. It's something we've been doing for the last uh, 100 years. It actually really reminds me of this 1935 British cartoon, which was about um, whether or not the Europe was going to do anything about uh, Mussolini. It goes like this. We don't want to fight, but by Jingo, if you do, we shall probably issue a joint memorandum suggesting a mild disapproval of you. And I think that pretty much sums up the international response to Myanmar.
1: Yeah, definitely. I think it it seems like the EU has also, you know, realized that they should do something as well as they like to consider themselves uh, one of important world powers uh, these days. Um, So they have um, like the foreign ministers has also now agreed that they will put sanctions uh, on Myanmar and even withhold some development aid so yeah it seems like more and more people are sort of joining this sanction uh club but I think <laughs> um a really good point uh, that Melina had in our break was that you know we need to make sure that it's not about th- that we're not punishing the people of Myanmar we're punishing the military do you want to add something to that or
2: mm.
3: Not exactly, but what you just said, like thinking about the humanitarian costs and so on, made me like wonder whether this coup was likely to spur like further displacement in the neighboring countries, for instance Thailand. I wonder what do you guys think
0: yeah it's possible. I think it depends on how how the process continue if there is um a really intense crackdown, and if depending on how the situation develops, there can definitely be more displacement within the country. That's my observation of it.
3: Yeah, because that's like really weird at the moment. Like I feel like the the international community is holding its breath, like wondering whether there will be a military crackdown or not, and like tanks have been deployed and stuff, but no one really knows <laughs> what's gonna happen. Yeah.
0: And I think if the military wants to keep going, then uh, I'm not entirely sure how the rest of the world will respond. Like more sanctions, perhaps, but um, then again.
2: Well, I think what will be interesting to keep an eye on is what China decides to do, because China definitely doesn't want a load of instability on its borders. But at the same time, they also don't want a democracy. And it's definitely easier to control Myanmar through its military leaders than through a democratic government. And what one thing that's definitely been interesting to me is how happy the protesters have been to go against China. It's a very powerful neighbor. And they've been calling them out very happily, which I think just goes to show that um, the protesters mean business and they they do genuinely want their democracy back. They're not afraid of any of the outside powers and what they might be able to do.
1: Definitely. We will be back with more in just a second. You just heard Garden of Eden by Billy Martin here at Student Radio 98.9. we are Radio UF uh, talking about the recent coup in Myanmar. And now we were thinking we would return uh, back to sort of the whole, you know, social media's role in the protests. But not only for the protests, because even the military is using Facebook to reach out to the population, So yeah, what do you think? Is Facebook the new way to uh, build or destroy a democracy?
2: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Well, what's interesting, I think, about Myanmar is that when they were having their technological revolution and people were first getting access to the internet and to phones, one thing that was automatically installed as a free add-on to every single phone was Facebook. So it's something that The Burmese people really relate very strongly to democracy and to just, you know, general, like the generalization of information. Um, and so Facebook, I think, historically in Myanmar has been seen as a source of information, which is why it's become very key in organising the the protests, even though it has been intermittently uh, blocked by the military. And I think another interesting comparison that can be made is that in the West, when we talk about organising protests through social media and using social media as a form of activism, we tend to describe that as slacktivism. But clearly it's like very, very key in Myanmar.
1: Yeah, no, definitely. And um, I mean, it's also very interesting because the largest Norwegian um, telecom company, uh, Telenor, they're also uh, working in Myanmar. They have like 60 million customers there um, and provide them with telecom services. But they have also been... um, at least I previously shutting down Facebook on their sort of tele-network which I yeah it's been very disputed um, in Norway and I think it should also get a lot more attention than it has um, considering uh, what we've talked about what a major major role Facebook plays in this protest in these protests and demonstrations. Yeah, I find it so interesting because
3: it seems to me that nowadays, like, big social media companies are urged to, like, take a stance and, like, take their moderating role seriously because, like, before Facebook was like, oh, yeah, we're neutral, like, we cannot really uh, influence the content that has been produced, blah, 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 blah. But today they actually, like, decided to block the accounts linked to the military agenda and I, yeah, like, we can relate that to what twitter did with like donald trump as well by like suspending its account and stuff and i feel like now people have realized that these social media are actually like a huge power and these social media have realized that and also have realized that they have to play like a moral role as well
2: Yeah, indeed. I think it's related partly also to, uh, for example, in the US, they've been looking at whether or not they can treat social media companies as a publisher um, and make them responsible for what their users put online. And I definitely think there's this past year, we've seen an increase in social media sites taking responsibility for what's put on their websites. And there's been an increase in pressure with regard to that as well. And definitely, like you brought up, Amanda, with the Norwegian telecoms company, um, people are demanding that that these that these companies actually take responsibility for what, what is on their sites and what people use their sites for
1: yeah no definitely um, really interesting discussion but we will be back after just a short song <laughs> <laughs> just heard Dancing in the Mirror by Glades. Uh, welcome back to Radio UF's episode uh, about Myanmar here at Student Radio 98.9. So, um, yeah, we've uh, reached the end of this episode almost, uh, so I think it's time to just wrap up what we've been discussing today. There's been so much everything from history or sort of the democratization um, armed conflicts, um, and then finally the coup. In the end, so I mean, it will definitely be very interesting to see how this develops, and hopefully that the people um, will get what they want. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I mean, I I think coup, as as we said earlier, coups in the nowadays they are much more unsustainable because uh, social media, everyone can know basically everything as long as they have an internet connection and um, there's power in the people basically when there is large enough movement to a change that will probably happen sooner or later and the only question is whether or not the people that oppose that have enough power to do it.
2: Definitely one thing um, I've been thinking about a lot lately I've been reading a book by um, Vaclav Havel called The Power of the Powerless. Uh, and that's a really nice book just to talk about the power of civil society and what it is to be in opposition. Uh, and for him, he describes the idea of opposition as not necessarily defining yourself in relation to the government and to the um, the incumbents, but rather into just like living your own truth and just living your life as you would like to live your life. And I think that's a really interesting idea. And should should the military rule continue? um, there are many there will be many opportunities for the people of Myanmar to uh, to try and live their truth which perhaps sounds very cringe but uh, i think the idea behind it is is very genuine in the sense that there are many small ways that civil society can stand up and uh, and and yeah you know try, fight for their democracy
3: yeah absolutely absolutely and i mean when we think about like civil disobedience and uh peaceful resistance and and so on we often talk like think about sit-ins but there are actually like so many ways to peacefully resist oppression i recently read a paper that yeah was combining all these and i think there were like 198
1: ways to resist peacefully so yeah (laughs) yeah no definitely and i think um there will be a lot more um That we'll see um, already now, you know, with them going in so strongly for being um, peaceful in their protests, sitting out in the streets, you know, with their pots and pans, hitting them and sort of showing that you can fight without using arms or being physical or, yeah.
0: Yeah, let's hope for the best and hope for a peaceful resolution.
1: Yes, and thank you so much for listening and thank you so much, guys, for coming. Uh, We'll be back. With another episode soon hopefully and before we end uh, Melker has something he would like to say.
0: Yeah, I'd like to wish my dad a happy birthday. Uh, happy birthday, dad. Happy,
1: happy birthday. birthday. <laughs>
0: All right. Yeah. Well, uh, tune in next week and uh, we'll be back. Goodbye.
2: Bye. Thank Bye. you.
0: Bye-bye. Thanks. Det här var en poddradioversion av ett program från studentradio 98,9. Alla våra program hittar du på studentradion.com eller i vår mobilapplikation, Studentradion 98,9.
1: Att lyssna fritt är stort, att lyssna rätt är större.